Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Or or give online at myfaithradio.com. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That'd be me. Awfully uh, excited about the week, and I love that we've got a great start to the day, and I hope your weekend was good. I hope you had a just great, restful weekend. And now we're back. It's Monday, and here in the Twin Cities, it's been pretty wet and a little bit on the uh, chilly side, but it's been okay, and now the sun's peeking out a little bit, so it's time to do a great show. We've got Patrick Albanese coming up. He's usually the way we get things started on Mondays my first guest, and then uh, Clay Craby, uh, who's got quite an interesting take on Romans 8.28. He, uh, he's got some good wisdom he's going to share with us. Then we're going to have a full hour with Dr. Ian Paul, all the way over from the UK, and he is going to teach us how to better study the Bible. And you're going to love, love this time together. So I love uh, this passage out of Proverbs, and it's in uh, chapter 17. It's in verse 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I like the first line better. Cheerful heart is good medicine. Hopefully your heart is cheerful today, and hopefully I can help, if it's not, make it a little bit more cheerful. That's the plan. We're going to take a little, about a 60-second break. Bring on Patrick. If you're in need of prayer or would like to pray for others, we have a helpful resource for you in PrayerWorks. When you go to MyFaithRadio.com and click on the Prayer Works link, you'll see numerous prayer requests listed. Click on Add a Prayer to submit your request or pray for the requests listed and then click on I Prayed for the corresponding request. Experience the power of believers praying for each other through Prayer Works. There's power when coming together, when hearts and minds are joined behind a common cause, a common passion, a common hope. There's a spirit that takes flight and moves you to action in ways you just couldn't move by yourself. That's why every baseball team still playing wants the home field advantage the crowd will give them. Why worshiping together moves you in ways solitude can't. And why listening to faith radio and gleaning from the insights and experiences of a community truly connects faith to life. Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. It's always nice to start Mondays with my friend and colleague Patrick Albanese from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious city of West Des Moines, who probably has a fake account. What is your fake name? <laughs> Uh, well, Carlos Danger was taken. That was taken, and now Pierre Delecto is taken. Pierre Delecto. Yeah, and we should just uh, let, uh, let our listeners know that is Mitt Romney's fake name. Yeah, yeah, he set up a fake Twitter account so he could lurk on other people's accounts without them knowing who it was, make comments, and uh, defend himself. He says he could use it to defend himself, and I'm thinking— what a great way to defend yourself. Isn't that kind of like, you know, you know, finding the biggest kid in sixth grade when you're a kindergartner going, go tell that kid he's, uh, he's ugly. Right. 
you know. I can't I'm believe, defending myself. I can't believe you did that. I thought it was just me that was doing that. No, no, no. What do you have? 14, 15 <laughs> pseudonyms? I got a few out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, by the way, and just, just, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but Bill Arnold number one, Bill Arnold number two, <laughs> Bill Arnold number three was using your same profile pic, by the way. Yeah, was not that was exactly. not very bright. Well, it's, you know, it's a start. Yeah. I think it's a jumping off place. All right. Let's start with a little chunk of good news. How interesting was it that Michael Jordan opens a medical clinic for underprivileged patients in Charlotte, funded it himself? Yeah, it's a lot different than LeBron James, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's a it's yeah. a beautiful thing he did. Yeah, I think he dumped seven million dollars into it, and it specifically targets areas for kids that don't get health care. I go, look at this, look at this. Now, see, I've always liked Michael Jordan. I'm a Chicago kid, right? So you have to like the Chicago Bulls. And growing up, they were never really much to talk about. So, uh, you know, it's nice to see that uh, years after retiring, you know, he just quietly goes about doing some good stuff. How nice is that? Yeah, we could use that, can't we? No, it's really, really nice. Um, we could use a clinic like that in my basement, come to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Out there in case Michael listens to the show. Big I, fan of number 23. I um, doubt he does, just so you know. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. yep. So, um, I don't know what went on over the weekend. There were plenty of uh, political rallies. I know we touch on that from time to time. It doesn't it doesn't hold my interest for very long, just so you know. Uh, but it, no. looks, it looks like uh, Bernie got endorsed by uh, Andrea Alexandria. I can't remember her name. Ocasio-Cortez. AOC, AOC yeah. yeah. So, that was probably a boost. She got, you know, they had a fairly big rally. Yeah. Yeah, I guess this is her way of tearing down the patriarchy by <laughs> endorsing the oldest guy in the race. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny too. My, my nine-year-old, I guess he misunderstood a commercial and he said, he goes, is Barney running for president? <laughs> I said, the dinosaur? He goes, uh, yeah, the dinosaur. I said, no, it's Bernie, the dinosaur, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't realize he was setting me up for a joke, but I uh, I appreciate uh, that. That's funny. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, they, you know, of course, as you know, they hang out in Iowa until the caucuses are over. So come February, we'll be able to have life return to normal. And everybody on social media says, oh, look, here's my picture with Elizabeth Warren. It's like, just so you know, she hates you. She wants your vote. <laughs> as soon as she gets it, she's leaving. Just mm -hmm. so you know. Do, do you trust anything? Do you trust polls at all? No. Okay, I'm just checking. Four out of five people know that. Oh, but I know it's it's a it's a proven fact. Well, I mean, you know, obviously we go to the 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 ridiculous, you know, the morning of the 2016 election. Uh, the New York Times basically uh, had Hillary at 92 percent. I think one paper had her at 98 percent chance of winning. Trump was at 1.6 percent, and. There wasn't a single one that I recall that had Trump winning. So you say, wow, every one of them was wrong. Every one of them was wrong. Mm -hmm. How could that be? And some of them just said, well, yeah, she, she won that popular vote. So I got that part right. It's like, well, <laughs> where does that fit into the 98% chance of, you know, taking home the big prize? So uh, how do you trust a poll? 
And in fact, you know, uh, years ago during the 2008 election, when Obama first ran, it was against McCain. Uh, my doctor it was a former Congress, U.S. congressman, and he went back to his plastic surgery business after serving a couple of terms. And uh, I had uh, visited him because he had, was the guy who put my finger back together. Mm-hmm. She thought I was getting some cosmetic work done, you know. <laughs> yeah, you got but, a, uh, the tip of your finger chopped off. Yeah. yeah. And this was right before the, the 2008 election, and the polls had everything you know pretty tight. And uh, I said, I go, well, you know, you got the inside track. So what's it going to be? He says, it's going to be uh, a slaughter. Oh, you know, he says, I, I've seen the inside polls. I go, well, what are these inside polls? He goes, those are for the insiders. <laughs> <laughs> well, how does an outsider get an inside poll? You've got to ask an insider. But uh, I said, well, well, how come we, you know, the general person walking around the neighborhood can't see these insider polls? I guess it doesn't get clicks. It doesn't keep the base motivated. I don't know, but you always have to have this, ooh, it's going to be a nail-biter. It's going to be a nail-biter. Mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. So a lot of the candidates want to get rid of billionaires. Do you feel threatened? Well, because um, I am working on my second billion. So. <laughs> it's the first one that's so hard to get. The second that's one comes easier. Right. I, I gave up on that. I go, what, what am I? I'm not dumb, right? Right. Well, you know, when does that when does that line move? Like California passed this freelance law that's going to affect writers. They can only submit 35 articles a year. And I said, well, well, that'll affect actors too. And you know, somebody said, oh, you know, you know, 35. If you got 35 roles in a year, it'd be great. And I said, you know, it always starts somewhere though, and then it moves. And that's the same thing here. So you demonize the billionaires, and when that doesn't work, because it won't work, you'll take their money. I, and I don't even know what they're proposing. Just, just steal all their wealth, take it all. And of course, you know, billionaires. You know how lazy they are. They just sit back and take it. They just go, have at it, and I guess I'll just go live in one of those homeless camps in Los Angeles <laughs> now that you've taken everything. You know, probably going to leave the country, but so let's say you do that. Let's say you take all their wealth. Okay, now what? Now you have no more billionaires. You can't take any more money from them, and you'll blow that money faster than a kid in a candy store. Right. So then they're going to have to move the line. Or that's when that goofy inflation, because, you know, what is it in some of these countries where they start messing with the system and they start to inflate the money and they go, congratulations, you're all billionaires now. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, that makes no sense, does it? Yeah, you got to bring a wheelbarrow full of money into Starbucks to get a latte. (laughs) You know, it just seems, (laughs) here it is. Where do I set this? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Patrick Albanese is my guest. As you know, he's my opening guest on Mondays, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. We're going to take a little break and then we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. I am delighted to talk to Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from prestigious West Des Moines. You know, Patrick, there was some interesting Pope Francis news uh, lately over the weekend, and he just seems to say things that make very little sense at times. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I've, I'm told he speaks many languages, but English isn't one of them. <laughs> well, you know, I, I want to be totally respectful, but he, he says God doesn't want us to evaluate events and people 
according to the categories of the pure and the impure, but to learn to go beyond, to look at the person and the intentions of a person's heart, overcoming all forms of particularism. That's the word that threw me, particularism. I don't even know what that means. Uh, yeah. And Rebecca just shrugged at me, and if she doesn't know, then no, nobody knows. Yeah, and should I have to look that up? Well, and to try, and then you got to start to read into the meaning, because I, I'm I'm not sure. I, could you excuse somebody's abhorrent behavior by saying, "Well, they sure had good intentions," right? They sure meant well. It's like, well, okay, but what if somebody warned you ahead of time that those good intentions weren't going to work out the way you thought, and then that person didn't listen? Do you still get the pass? That's a good so, point. And yeah. As, and as we live in an age where this anti-Christian hostility grows, I think every day, uh, we do have to figure out ways to be prepared to deal with it. And I think we have to be more intentional about loving our enemies because it's kind of easy to discard them. Yeah, you know, it's so strange. I'll see this conversation, you know, there are, there are the various people, let's say that they don't like Trump, and uh, we, we know they exist, right? I yes, oh yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, one is named Pierre Delecto. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to Pierre now, huh? We're back to Pierre. Okay. But, uh, yeah. But it's, it's, uh, you get this thing and I, I see it on Facebook and I'm sure Rebecca comes across it a, a lot where people are saying, I don't understand you Christian people, you know, how can you possibly support this or that or this or that? And, you know, it's uh, if I was saying to somebody, I said, you know, what what evangelicals get tired of is fake evangelicals telling them how real evangelicals are supposed to think, feel and do. Mm -hmm. Because you say, you know, I'm trying to follow what I think is going to work best. Uh, You you know me. um, One of my things, especially when it comes to politics, is I try to vote platform, not personality. Because, um, you know, you keep, you, you're going to be disappointed in the personality. You know, they're usually either it's either a false front or it's just abrasively real. <laughs> you know, it's accused of it's like, mm-hmm. geez, it's a little bit too caustic at times. Um, and some people, you know, love that and some people don't like it. But we also don't like the ones that say one thing and do entirely different things. But it's it's after these years of, especially since Trump's been in office, of constantly being told, well, you're not really this. You're not really a Christian if you support anything he's done. I go, well, I I am in favor of these judges he has appointed. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm sure that, you know, before, when, before Paul, before Saul became Paul, you know, I got to figure it it, at the very beginning was probably a little bit rough for him. They're like, wait, 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 aren't you that guy, Saul? (laughs) We're supposed to trust you. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm starting to sound like a, a character from a movie there. Excuse me. <laughs> exactly. But, you, you know, God, God chose an unlikely person to lead. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, Trump was chosen by God. But I just say, you know, what I'm trying to find out is, are we going in in a good direction? You know, is which person is trying to push us in the right direction? And like, watching these debates and something came up last week where uh, I think it was Beto because it's always Beto he says well, somebody please notice me <laughs> please <laughs> always saying more outrageous things but you know what was his thing well you know if a uh, church doesn't support uh, gay marriage then they should lose their tax exempt status and mm-hmm. you go you just riled up the evangelical base yeah not because they're 
anti-gay or anything like that, but because it's like, what? You, that's a direct shot across our bow saying you're coming after us and our beliefs, and you're, you're going to tell us what we're allowed to believe. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the gay community went pretty quickly from, we just like to be married and be left alone, to if you don't um, marry us, we, you'll lose your tax-exempt status. Yeah, we, we, we'd like to be married and left alone to we'd like to be married and we'd like you to do the ceremony. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, I, I think people were going to be OK with the, the left alone. Um, but, um, you know, and you know me, I sometimes I'm not trying to get inside people's heads, but I, I often wonder, I said, OK, so you successfully championed for and uh, got gay marriage legalized. And then you woke up the next day and say, now what do I do? Now what I do with the rest of my life, because mm -hmm. that's done. And you say, well, I guess, you know, uh, wh what they apparently needed was uh, people to like it or people to celebrate it or to, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, the, you achieved the victory and you said, it's not enough. I think it's time to rub my enemy's face in it. Yeah. You know, that'd be, you know, Tom Brady uh, grabbing a Lombardi trophy saying, Where's the other team? Get those guys over here. I've got All a couple right. of things to say. You call yourselves Super Bowl contenders? You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't understand why they just didn't take the W and go. Yeah. First Peter 3, 9 says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. <clears throat> but on the contrary, bless for to this is you were called so that you that you may obtain a blessing. So, again, I think it's a great step as we try to work at loving our, our enemies and the people who are truly hostile to the Christian faith. Um, be prepared to engage with them and also be, I think, prepared to disengage. I think there are some arguments that happen on social media that you should just back out of altogether. I, not, not even, don't even enter them in the first place. And, and I think it's also good to know that this, this is expected and we were told that this would be coming our way. We, it, it's kind of like there's a, a speed trap uh, right down the street from when I go to the gym in the morning, there's a speed trap uh, and they catch a lot of people because it drops from, I think, 110 miles an hour to three. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty precipitous drop. Uh -huh. you know? Yeah. But the amazing thing is, is uh, from about a half a mile away, I know they've got the speed trap set up because the police cars wait in what is kind of our little city hall for my little town. Mm-hmm. And on the days that the police cars are hidden, they turn off the parking lot lights. So oh. I know So we should have this same. It's easy. I almost want to knock on the door and say, you know, you're kind of giving the game away. <laughs> you're, trying, you're trying too hard to hide. I know you're there because you turned the lights out. But we should know. It's almost like we should know the traps that we're entering. We should know if you, you know, engage in an argument like on social media, will you make a convert of anybody? I don't you know, think so. I think everyone is dug in to their sides and they're not listening to each other. They're just yelling at each other. And I don't know if people really yeah. want to listen or if they're just waiting for the other person to stop talking so they can start talking. I, I think there's... Are you done talking? Because I'm I was done talking. Yeah, you go okay, ahead now. Yeah. No, I, I do think there's something to that. I, and I do think that some people like to engage in these discussions in the hopes that you'll give them something they can beat you over the head with. Right. You know, they're going to look for the hypocrisy. Well, I've got news for you, folks. Everybody's a hypocrite. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody's a hypocrite, and it's very hard to avoid. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how I've done it. I've done it. Yeah. And is is the presidential hopeful Tulsi Gabbard, is she the new uh, the new Russian weapon? 
Well, I my theory uh, for you know adjusted for inflation, my two cents worth, mm-hmm. is that uh, you know she's not going anywhere, and this is a nice little distraction for the moment. But uh, really, what Hillary and company and everybody else is doing is, I believe they've looked at the tea leaves and they think we can't win. Uh, Trump's going to run on this economy and he's going to win. And so they're setting up ahead of time the Russian interference in the election. So mm-hmm. they've already, they're planting the seeds now because they started planting them a couple of months before the election in 2016 because they had the dossier that they had uh, purchased and uh, they went full force after he won. That was their plan B. And I think they're trying to set that up now so that uh, you can just look forward to another four more years of collusion, collusion, collusion. We know it's there. Is the collusion in the room with you right now? Could you point it out? You know, <laughs> yeah. Bound to be something like that. Yeah. Well, Patrick, thank you for uh, getting my Monday started. This is uh, kind of a rainy day here in the Twin Cities. I don't know what you have in Des Moines. Is it, is it wet there today? Uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know if it's due to climate change. By the way, I, didn't, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, the overuse of cliche phrases is an existential threat to effective communication. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Yeah, it's an ex- yeah. existential. I can't even I'm like Joe Biden. I can't even say existential. No, well, it's, hard, ex- it's a hard word to say. It's a hard word. You got to say. practice it. And I don't think you practiced hard enough. I did not. No. All right. I, I will uh, bid you farewell and I'll talk to you next I week. Do. Yep, I do. Yep. Patrick Albanese has been my guest. We'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Ted Ross with a Faith in Life Minute. Living a healthy lifestyle is easier if you keep the future in mind. Here's Dr. Daniel Amen. If I go for the three chocolate chip cookies, well then what? Well, I know for me, 20 minutes later, I'm going to be feeling stupid because I'm going to get a blood sugar burst and then my pancreas is going to see it and the insulin is going to drop my blood sugar so it's going to go up and then down and then in an hour, I'm going to be hungry again. So it's all about forethought. What do you want? So I want to be healthy for a long time because I have a mission that I believe is from God. And I have kids and grandkids and a wife I adore. So I don't want to be a burden on them. So I'm always thinking about the future, but at the same time, totally enjoying the present by doing the right thing. Hear more from Dr. Daniel Amen at MyFaithRadio.com.
I am glad to be welcoming back to the program Clay Craby, who's a pastor in North Dakota and created ReasonableTheology.org to help all of us make theology a little bit more accessible for the everyday Christian, which would be me. Clay, how are you? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to speak with you again. No kidding. You uh, did a very interesting article and podcast on Romans 8.28, which is one of my verses I really like, and I think a lot of people like it, and I think it's a go-to verse for a lot of people when they don't know what to say to someone who's suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Romans 8.28, it's a familiar verse for many people. It's, like you said, it's a favorite verse. You really could say that it's one of the most popular verses from one of the most popular chapters of one of the most popular books in all of Scripture, and yet we find that it's actually often misused uh, or even misunderstood as to what it's saying. This is the verse that tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it's a tremendous promise from Scripture, but when you look at it closer, you find that oftentimes people are misusing it, misunderstanding it, to actually promise too little, and it actually has much more comfort, much more encouragement to offer than even we give it credit for. Uh, People like to kind of cherry-pick those six words in the middle, like um, all things work together for good. They like to leave everything else around it out. Yeah, it's a bad habit, I think, that all of us get into at one time or another. We start to see Scripture, and we, we zone in on particular passages or even particular verses or even particular phrases, and we don't pay attention to the context. But we have to remember the Apostle Paul is not tweeting out inspirational quotes here. He's he's making an argument, and at Romans 8.28, you're eight chapters into a very in-depth letter that he's writing, so you really have to keep context in mind. Yeah. I'm already fascinated, Clay, by the uh, line you gave us, which was, we can make it say too little. So let's explore that, for starters. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, this is often a verse that we offer to others when they've fallen on hard times. We've perhaps had it offered to us, you know, when you lose a job or a loved one dies or someone's just struggling Uh uh, in any number of ways. There's that reminder that, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God. And that's absolutely true. But too often it's it's said and it's meant in and sort of a turn that frown upside down, the sun will come out tomorrow, right. when God closes a door, he opens a window, that type of mentality. Right. But it's it's so far beyond that. This, this is not a promise that if your car breaks down, God's going to give you a new one. This is not a promise that if you lose a job, there's a better one lined up or, or any number of things that we can um, experience in this life in terms of loss or grief or failures. It's actually far, far beyond that. And once you dig into that promise, you realize that uh, there's more comfort to be had here than perhaps you understood to begin with. Well, you're on a roll. Keep going. Yeah, and I think really it comes in, as we talked about already, it's, it's understanding that context and what it is that God is working out. It says that God works out all things. Well, Is God doing that in order to give you comfort in life? 
Or is God working out all things in order to bring you into conformity with Christ? And that's really what this passage is all about, is that God is working all things, whether you think it's good or bad or indifferent or mundane, whatever you're experiencing in life is is God-ordained to bring you into closer conformity with Jesus Christ. Yeah, but Clay, you've got to be a big pick big picture thinker to take that in because most of the time we want some shorter term satisfaction. We want our hurts to be uh, mended. We want a little bit of comfort. And, but I love the idea that what it's really doing is bringing us into conformity with Christ. But that doesn't always mean you're going to instantly feel good. No, it doesn't. And, and I think that's a challenge that all of us have is we've kind of have this microwave mentality of if it if it's not fixed in three minutes, uh, I'm not interested. Yeah. And in what we find, not only the pictures that we find throughout Scripture, but what we see in our own lives. And when we have the benefit of hindsight, looking back into difficulties in life, almost without fail, we'll recognize that those were the greatest periods of growth in yes. our lives. Yes. And so we need to recognize when we're maybe heading into or even are in the midst of difficulties, we need to recognize that God is working that out for your good, which is to make you more like Jesus. And uh, it's not something that's going to be solved, fixed right away, but that's not how God works. God works on his timeline, not on our timeline. And I think we all need to recognize that we need more work than we think we do, and some of that work takes a long time. Yeah, Clay, what would you say for those of us who have used that verse for comfort? to comfort others, what would you say? I would say it's absolutely a comfort for others. And I would say the the one thing to keep in mind is understanding the depths of that comfort. Because if, if someone, for instance, loses a job, as an example, when you offer that for comfort, if you mean by that, don't worry, you're going to get a better job sometime very soon. Well, I think that's a promise that you and scripture aren't able to make. Um, if by you mean by that, though, that this trial that you are experiencing, God is going to meet you in that and provide in ways that you can't even see right now. And when you get to the other end of this, you will have a better appreciation, love for and devotion to Jesus Christ as he provided for you, not only perhaps materially, but spiritually, uh, mentally, all the things that you need to go on through difficulty recognizing that we have a God who cares, who loves for us, who provides for us, and ultimately seeing that is going to be great spiritual benefit, even you have to get there through hard times. Mm -hmm. Clay, don't you think we have to be very careful when we're talking and using this verse? Because this does not apply for people who are outside of God's family. You know, those who are called according to his purpose, I would, I understand this verse to be for the family of God. And if we use it in situations where we're talking to someone who has not been born again, I don't think we're we're speaking uh, from a place of wisdom, are we? No, that's an absolutely important point to make, is we have to keep the context in mind. And as you mentioned, I mean, the verse it says, the verse itself says, we know that for those who love God, all things work out together for good. Those who love God, it, there's mountains of texts we could look at that, that is a description of believers only. 
you know, outside of Christ, we're, we're enemies of God. We're rebels against God, but only in Christ are we those who love God. So that context of this being a promise to the believer is absolutely important. So you've got that context. You've got the context of what else Paul has been talking about here. Back through verse 18, when this kind of train of thought took off, and it goes all the way to verse 30 of chapter 8, he, he kind of bookends this conversation with a look at our glorification, being made perfectly into the image of Christ. That's the context of this. And so he's absolutely talking specifically to believers who have that as their ultimate end goal, this glorification in Jesus. So, Clay, I bet you've got a story or two um, about when you had that situation yourself. You were in a struggle. You were in a a place where people were comforting you with that verse, and you knew in your heart it to be true, but God strengthened you through an episode of suffering. Oh, absolutely. And I I think uh, all of us have those examples where we've either used it or, or have had it used for us. I don't recall if anyone particularly offered this specific verse, but I know when you have that benefit of hindsight looking back at my own life, uh, when right prior to the birth of our second child, our daughter, my wife was on bed rest for three months in the hospital prior to that, and there was a lot of difficult, scary conversations um, as to uh, just the risks associated with the complications she was having with this pregnancy. Very difficult time in life, but when you look back, you see how well God provided, um, not only with the care and comfort offered by those who love us and our fellow believers, but also how he cared for both my wife and and now our daughter, born perfectly healthy, you know, six years old now. All those things we have the benefit of looking back on, but in the midst of that, recognizing that you're not tossed about on some ocean of chance in this world Mm -hmm. when you're going through difficulty. God is still in control, even when you're forced to recognize that you are not. Yeah, Clay, because this is such a great verse, period, but it's also a great verse that other preachers can take and put a, put in a context where it doesn't belong. Uh, you, you have probably heard enough preachers talk about this passage and not use it correctly. Absolutely, and it's, it's a tragedy that, that takes place, but we recognize that there will always be false teachers among us in this world. This is one of those verses that you know, prosperity gospel preachers, those who preach health, wealth, and happiness. You'll you'll never be sick as long as you have enough faith, or God just wants you to be wealthy, things like that. They latch onto verses like this, they cherry pick them, and, and they propagate them to their following to suggest that God, His only desire is your um, temporary comfort and happiness in this life. And that's taken to be great comfort, but it's temporary comfort. To see this passage and this verse as merely being suggesting that you're going to have uh, material wealth, that you're not going to experience any difficulty, but if you do, God's going to cancel that out and outweigh good over bad. That's Mm -hmm. really small comfort when you look at the grand scheme of things compared to what this actual good is, because that's the key to this whole verse, the fact that God will work out all things for good. What is the good that he's talking about? Yeah, and and it's important that we don't uh, treat this verse as, uh, in case of emergency, pull lever verse. Right. I mean, this is something that we need to be uh, committing to memory and, and reminding ourselves every day about this versus wait until we're in that difficult situation where we need a bailout verse. 
Absolutely. And, and that's so true of, of all difficult situations, all, all periods of trials and suffering and really refining uh, that we go through. Now, now is not the time, though there, there's, it's never too late, but now is not the time to start uh, trying to latch on to verses that you've not memorized or trying to get in the Word when you're not in the habit of it. Right. Ideally, we'll, we'll be in the Word. We'll have these verses there as lifelines to grab hold of, repeat to ourselves, and, and we'll be all the better comforted for it. I'm not saying when you're in the midst of suffering, it's too late to run to Scripture. No, that's absolutely where, where you need to be. But I am saying that uh, we know, we're told over and over again, we will have difficulties in this life. And we can be better prepared for those by being in the Word, understanding promises like this here in Romans 8, 28. And if we have that verse memorized, the Holy Spirit can bring it to our minds and hearts in the middle of our own difficulty or suffering. And then we go, wow, God's comforting me with His Word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And you know, uh, not only for yourself, but you don't always know that you're about to enter into a situation where you might be called upon to give comfort to someone else. Uh, you might not always have your Bible with you. It might not be practical to look up that verse, but to have these memorized not only for your own heart, uh, but to bless others with as well. And I'd really encourage people, not only this verse, but to really memorize this whole passage. Because in the very next verse, we start to see what is that good that is promised to us. Yeah, you think just like me, Clay, just so you know, and you're younger and better looking. So there's a lot of things about you that I have problems with, you know? <laughs> All right, let well, me take... Admitting is the first step. <laughs> let me take a little break. Clay Craby is my guest, pastor in North Dakota, and also created reasonabletheology.org. We're going to take a very short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Clay Craby. He's a pastor in Nodak, and he also created a great website called reasonabletheology.org. You need to head over there and check out all that there is on that uh, website. And Clay, we're chatting about Romans 8.28, and I think I want to move on here in just a minute. But do you, have you heard any really great illustrations about Romans 8.28? Because I've heard, I heard one that I just love, and I've been using it for 25 or 30 years. So do you have any good ones? Uh, I'd be happy to hear yours. Not, nothing off the top of my yeah. head that jumps out at me. Yeah. Well, this illustration I heard from a pastor several decades ago was there was a, a farmer in ancient feudal times. All he had was a horse and a son. And one day he forgot to lock the barn and the horse ran away. And his neighbors came over and said, oh, this is terrible. And he said, how do you know it's terrible? And the next day the wild horse, the horse returned with 13 wild horses. The neighbors came over and said, oh, this is great. He said, how do you know it's great? And the next day, his son got on one of the wild horses to try to domesticate the animal, and he was thrown off the horse, broke his shoulder, and the wise neighbors came over and said, oh, this is terrible. And he said, how do you know it's terrible? And the next day, the warlord uh, declared war, and all the young men had to go into battle, except his son, because he had a broken shoulder. And of course, the wise neighbors said, this is uh, great. And he said, how do you know it's great? Because if we live under the umbrella of all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, when good or bad comes into our life, how do we make that determination that is good or bad? Yeah, and that's the real thing is trying to get beyond this, this immediate perspective of, okay, good thing happened, bad thing happened, bouncing back and forth, which 
which life can really seem to do to everyone, uh, and trying to have a better perspective, a better outlook of, okay, what is good? What is bad? Right. And how do I know that any of this matters? Yeah, exactly. Because we all look back at times in our life when we were sc- screaming and crying the loudest, and we look back at those times and go, those were pivotal. Those are some of the most significant times in my life. But back mm. then we thought it was terrible. But now we look back in retrospect and we go, ooh, that was pretty amazing what happened and what God did in my life at that time. Absolutely. And I think to to anyone that might be going through difficulty, perhaps they just um, lost a loved one, had a very difficult diagnosis or experiencing you know, mental health issues or anxiety, is just to know your suffering is not meaningless. God is at work even in the midst of your darkest, most difficult days. And I think when you're on the other side of that, you're going to say, especially in the midst of your darkest and most difficult days. Mm-hmm. So I think we can uh, just you and I just collectively love on our listeners right now and say, boy, if you are in that place, um, God does have an amazing plan for your life, and he loves you, and he's working all things out together for good. Absolutely. And as, as we mentioned, I mean, this promise to believers is really when it says all things, that's what it means. So it's saying to those who love God, God's working out all things for good. And, and it really comes down to, okay, the key here is understanding what is the good. And that's the fork in the road between a bad application of this verse if you think uh, all things to good is going to be a better job, a better car, a better you know significant other, a better cat, all these things, you're going to really be misusing this. But if you recognize that the good that is promised to you is to really bring us into greater conformity with Jesus and seeing all the benefits of what it means to be more and more like your Savior, that's the good that's promised. And that far outweighs anything that you might count uh, as loss in this life, just like the Apostle Paul said, he counts all things as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. And it's those times of difficulty, suffering, where we get to know him more and more. Yeah, I love that. I've got a guest named David Miles. He, he's a pastor, and he comes on and he says, you know, when you say all things work together for good, his line is always, uh, all means all, and that's all all means. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it's not <laughs> some, good. it's not a little, it's not most of, it's all. I think we need to remind ourselves of that. And so while the promise is in some ways um, limited in that it's limited to believers, after that, after you get through that gate of who this is applicable to, it's wide open. It it is all things. And like we said, that could be good things, that could be bad things, and that could be just the mundane, mediocre, ho-hum, everyday life. Right. All right. I know the difference between cats and dogs, but what's the difference between kings and chronicles? That's a good question. If if you are, say, reading through a Bible in a year plan or something along those lines, you've you've successfully made it out of Leviticus and Numbers and you're patting yourself on the back. By the time you get through Kings and, and you enter into First and Second Chronicles, sometimes people can start to seem a little bit like they're having deja vu. And it feels as though it's really just repeating a lot of the same stuff that you just finished reading. And and to some extent, that's kind of true. About 50% of the material that's in Chronicles is already covered somewhere else in the in the Old Testament. Mm. So the question becomes, well, why do we have both of these? Why do we have, uh, well, you know, even Kings is already with Samuel to some extent. Why do we have 
first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and then what seems to be a bit of repetition in first and second Chronicles. Yeah. So uh, we, where does where's the answer? What what should we know about the difference? I think one of the the keys here is understanding the the purpose that these two different histories of Israel have. Okay, so we're um, looking at I'll two different say, views? In, in a way, yeah, and I'll just, for easiness sake, I'll just say Kings and Chronicles. They were originally just one book okay. uh, in the Old Testament. So Kings has a particular purpose, and Chronicles has a particular purpose. Kings was written prior, or excuse me, Kings was written during the Babylonian exile. We're talking about 550, 560 B.C., and Chronicles is written after the exile was already over. So while Kings is really addressing um, hard-hearted Israel and talking to them about why it is that they had to suffer this exile, this captivity, Chronicles is actually looking to inspire hope and faith in God among those who just came out of this devastating ordeal in Babylon. And that's mm-hmm. why in the in the Hebrew Old Testament, originally, that's where their Old Testament ends. Mm-hmm. First and Second Chronicles are the last books. In our Bibles, that's not quite as clear what's happening because they're immediately uh, after Kings. Mm-hmm. And then, does the focus shift around in those different books? It does, and so to that same end, that theme of trying to instill hope trying to renew the the vigor of spiritual life, this theocracy of Israel after the Babylonian captivity, it does have different focuses throughout. Uh, it focuses a lot on David and Solomon. We're talking a time here that was really the ideal united kingdom. And you'll remember your Old Testament history that after Solomon is when Israel is divided into the northern and southern kingdom, you have a lot of idolatry, a lot of pagan activity going on, a lot of punishment from other nations coming in by God's hand. So it's taking people back to a time where there's this ideal kingdom. A lot of that's going to focus on Judah, um, and particularly David and Solomon prior to that. And there's also going to be uh, a little bit less focus on the different aspects of failure in both David's life and Solomon's life and the people's lives. And that's not to whitewash history. Uh, That's absolutely covered elsewhere in Scripture. But what we do see is that there's a little bit more uh, hopeful angle as to what it is it's covering. Mm -hmm. And do you think the average Bible student is a little reluctant to spend that kind of time and energy in in those books? Yes, I think particularly Chronicles is difficult. I mean, yeah. starting with nine chapters of of basically genealogical material, that, that can be difficult. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, refer people to a good study Bible or commentary that can help them see some of the gold that's kind of hidden amongst those difficult chapters in Scripture and understand why was that important for the original reader? Because mm-hmm. it's it's always important when you're in the Old Testament and in the New Testament too, frankly. Scripture was written for you, but it was not written to you. Uh, a lot of times we have histories in this instance written to Israel for all believers for all time, of course, but it has a specific function to its original reading audience. And the more that you can understand that, the better off you'll be, because then you can start to see, oh, I'm seeing these themes of hope and this focus on on restoration. 
where it's it's no longer like in kings dealing and focused on the punishment of of the wicked kings and all their descendants and the people. Chronicles is instead focused on kind of the punishment that happens within their own lifetimes and then the the hope for restoration when you return back to to following after the one true God. Mm-hmm. Clay, it's always nice to talk to you. Tell me where your church is that you pastor at. Yes, I'm here. I'm one of the pastors, not the lead pastor. I'm the, the pastor of adult discipleship here at Grace Baptist Church, and that is in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Yeah, because we have a lot of listeners in North Dakota, and I just want them to be fully aware of where you uh, are, and they can gravitate over to your church and get a chance to uh, worship at uh, Grace. Tell me the name of it again. Yeah, it is Grace Baptist Church in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And and I'd love for people to stop by. You can check us out online before you do. That's go to grace.org, the two, like in the numeral two. Um, But yeah, if you're in the area and you're uh, looking for a church, we'd be absolutely honored to have you join us for worship some Sunday morning. Yeah, Clay's website is reasonabletheology.org. So thank you so much, Clay. Great to talk to you. Pleasure to be on. Thanks so much. Yep, Clay Craby's been my guest. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.